Hi there, and welcome to another one of my podcasts. I'm beginning this just about a day or so after the coronation, so it's quite an important week, I suppose. It was strange watching it. I didn't realise there was so much religion involved. As some of you may know, I have no time for religion. It's all claptrap as far as I'm concerned. But there was so much of it. Anyway, never mind about that. We're going to go back in time to the late 20s. At that point, it was the beginning of the recording career of a gentleman who was born with the name Albert Arthur Powell. That's not the way he's remembered, if indeed he's remembered at all these days, although he was a big name in his time. He was known as Sandy Powell and was a sort of comedian. He was born in 1900 and survived till 1982. And he made most of his records just before World War II. He was born in Yorkshire and you can always hear his accent. He started out with his mother putting on a puppet show and she put him on stage at the age of nine in a velvet suit with lace and he sang. And obviously he enjoyed it because he decided that that was what he wanted to do in life. He had a successful career and often appeared on record, particularly with Gracie Fields. And in all, he made 85 records and made about £60,000 out of them, which in those days was an awful lot of money. This is just about the first recording he made. It's called The Lost Policeman, and it was released on one of the cheap labels called Broadcast, and it sold almost half a million copies, which is a lot of copies. During the 30s, he introduced a sort of catchphrase. I don't know whether catchphrases were the thing, but he was one of the first to have one. He apparently had dropped his script while on the radio, and while he was trying to get the pages back in order to fill in the time, he said, Can you hear me, mother? And that became a catchphrase that everybody wanted to hear him say every time he was on the radio. Anyway, this is Sandy Powell. He's playing the part of a policeman who obviously is A, incompetent, and B, without any empathy for the person who's in trouble. And it's the sort of comedy that he did. This then, Sandy Powell, his very first recording just about in 1929, a sketch called The Lost Policeman. to be a policeman. You know, I've been on my beat all day. I haven't had one case yet. Not one case. Hello, here's a little boy coming along. I wonder what he wants. Hello, Sam. What's the matter? Can you tell me where I can find the policeman, please? I beg pardon? Can you tell me where I can find the policeman, please? What do you think I am? A sea lion or something? Why, what do you want a policeman for? Our Herbert fell in the river. Your Herbert fell in the river? Oh, I am sorry. Really, I am. Your Herbert fell in the river, eh? Yes. Oh, it is a shame. Has he, uh, has he been in the river very long? Oh, no, just now. Just now? Oh, well, that isn't so bad, then. He, he'll get used to it when he's been in a bit, you know. Has he ever been in the river before? No. Oh, well, it'll be a change for him, then. Can your Herbert swim? No. Oh, well, now's his chance to learn, then. Well, I'll take a few particulars down, well, if you don't mind. It's all right, now. I'm doing my best. Now. I'm going to take it all down. <clears throat> I'm going to get my book out. The above have arrived. Oh, that's the wrong one. Ah, this is the one. What about our Herbert? All right, now give me a fair chance now. Give me a fair chance. Now, your Herbert's in the river, isn't he? Yes. That is one boy in one river. Now, what is your name, please? It's not me that's in the river, it's 
I know all about that. I want to know who you are. I know where your Irvis is. He's in the river. I want to know your name. And anything you say will be taken down and used in your favor against you. Now, what is your name, please? Percy. Percy. And where were you born? London. Born in London? What part? All of me. Another one like that, and you'll be where your Irvis is. And do you live in London? Yes. Yes. Well, how long, how long have you lived in London? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. How old are you? Twelve. <clears throat> and we, uh, we don't want any sarcasm at all. And uh, have you lived in London all your life? Not yet. <laughs> Just about my size, you are, you know. Now, have you, uh, have you got a mother and father at what all? What about my I know, I know where he is. He's in the river, isn't he? Yes. Well, it's all right. I can't do two things at once. Have you got a mother and father? I've got a father, but I haven't got a mother. You haven't got a mother? No. Have you never had a mother? No. I must put that down. Now, you've got a father, haven't you? Yes. Does your father work? Yes. Shame. Well, how long has your father been in his present position? Three months. Three months. And what is he doing? Six months. Mine had a hat and she lost it. What's her telephone number? Beg pardon? A friend of mine had a hat and she lost it. What's her telephone number? What are you talking about? A friend of yours had a hat and she lost it. What's her telephone number? Yes. I don't know. What is it? I have a new one. I give it up. Another friend of mine had a hat and she lost it. What's her telephone number? Go on, I'll buy it. What is it? I have a new one too. I ought to have known better, you know. Another friend of mine. I don't want to know any more about your friends at all. Have a hat and she lost it. And I hope she never finds it again. What's her telephone I don't want to know any more about your friends, I've told you. What about our Herbert? Oh, yes, yes, your Herbert. Now, your Herbert's lost his telephone number, hasn't he? No, he's in the river. Oh, the river, yes. Now, you, you were there when your Herbert fell in, weren't you? Yes. Well, how many times did your Herbert come up? Three times. Three times. Oh, well, I don't think you'll come up any more then. No, I'm sorry. No, I can't do any more for you now, Percy. So the best thing you can do now, the best thing is to go home and tell your father. But I'm lost. Lost? Where do you live? London. Oh, don't start again. I know you live in London, but what part? Oh. And don't you say all of me again. What street do you live in? I don't know. Do you know the number? No. Oh, well, that makes it a bit awkward for me then, because... See, I don't know really where I am, you see, because I've never been on this beat before. But do you know, do you know where the police station is? No. You don't? No. Oh, well, I'm lost as well, then. Oh, no, don't cry, person. No. Daddy's with you. When there are grey skies, I don't... Honey, boy. shut up. Listen, Percy. Now, you don't know where you live, do you? No. And your Herbert's in the river. And I don't know where the police station is. So what do you think we'd better do? I don't know. No. Oh, I've got an idea. I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's all go into the workhouse at half past eight tomorrow morning. We'll all meet when shower Home, sweet home, and we'll all 
Well, every now and then I return to my very favourite singers, and of course right at the top of the list is the great tenor, maybe the greatest tenor of them all. Enrico Caruso, born 1873, died in 1921, therefore he never recorded into a microphone, and all his recordings are acoustic. So he still sounds better than everybody else, even though he didn't have the benefit of modern recording techniques. Incidentally, if any of you are looking for him to sing Nelson Dorma, sorry, but he died five years before it was written. So if anybody tells you there is one, they're telling you porkies. This is him singing a song in French. I rather like him singing in French. He somehow seems more classical in his style when he does so. This is reasonably late in his career, 1916, when he sang a song called Chanson de Juin by a composer called Godard. And since we're in June, it seems the perfect chance to play this song. Song of June, Chanson de Juin, recorded on the 3rd of November, 1916, by the greatest of them all, Enrico Caruso.
Then my favourite popular singer is definitely Peggy Lee. She was born Norma Dolores Eggstrom and she had that name because her parents were immigrants from Scandinavia. She began very, very early on singing on the radio and various places so that by the time World War II came she was already, even though so young, fairly experienced, shall we say. During that time, she had to sing to some fairly noisy audiences. And what she did was to sing more softly and softly and softly. And finally, the audience realised that they couldn't hear her at all. And so they started to shut up and listen. Subtle. That's the way. Don't try and sing over them. Make them come to you. Very good advice. Well, in the early 40s, she was discovered by Benny Goodman and she had her big hit in 1943, the famous Why Don't You Do Right, but she left the band marrying Dave Barber, the guitarist, who sadly became a bit of an alcoholic, which meant that although she always loved him, the marriage didn't last. She started after World War II being a star in her own right, and she made 78 up to, you know, around 1960, and then from then on, she made recordings for LPs and towards the end, no doubt, CDs, because she sang a long, long time. And despite the fact that she had lung troubles towards the end of her life, she carried on. I know because I saw her perform live at the London Palladium. Perhaps she wasn't quite what she had been, but she was pretty damn good just the same. This is Peggy Lee then at the beginning of her solo career. This is a 1948 recording, which I've always rather loved, before she joined Capitol. And she recorded this, I think, for the Brunswick label, and it's a song called Don't Smoke in Bed. I suppose what you call a talk song. And it's wonderful. And towards the end, I noticed talking about modern recording techniques, which I mentioned when I was introducing Caruso, I noticed that towards the end, they put a lot of echo in, as if she's singing from far away. Very interesting recording, apart from her wonderful performance, of course. So this is Peggy Lee singing Don't Smoke in Bed, 1948. I left a note 
on his dresser and my old wedding ring with these few goodbye words can I sing goodbye oh sleepy I'm packing you in like I said take care of everything I'm leaving my wedding Well, now, having begun this podcast with Sandy Powell, we're now going to go to another Powell who I've never played you recordings of before. He was born Richard Ewing Powell in Arkansas and, of course, became better known as Dick Powell. He died in 1963, 59 years old, sadly, of cancer. He was spotted singing just at the right time when films had started needing people who could talk and sing. And, of course, he made his name in all of those early Warner Brothers musicals. He did very well in the marriage market. After his first marriage, which didn't work, married to a lady who was a model, he managed to marry the wonderful Joan Blondell and later on his final wife, June Allison. After his 30s career as a leading man and singer, he decided in the mid to late 40s that he was too old to play those sort of roles anymore 
and instead he started playing hard-boiled detectives and in fact took on the role that we think of as being belonging to Humphrey Bogart, i.e. the private detective Philip Marlowe. He made two or three films like that. He also got to work and direct with his last wife and made various films. Towards the end of his life he got involved in television and even ran his own sort of studio and made his own films. I personally think he was more impressive as an actor than as a singer but this podcast is about 78 so I'm going to play one of his 1930s recordings and it's a tune which is semi-remembered now. Dick Powell this is singing with plenty of money and you. Here goes. I have never envied folks with money. Millionaires don't get along so well. I have you but haven't any money. Still the combination would be swell. I couldn't do With plenty of money I'm you In spite of the worry That money brings Just a little filthy lucre Buys a lot of things And I could take you to places You'd like to go But outside of that I've no use for dough It's the root of all evil of strife and upheaval, but I'm certain, honey, that life could be sunny with plenty of money and you. to the world of music called vaudeville, call it what you will. Stanley Augustus Holloway was born in 1890 and unlike the last performer, had a long life. He died in 1982. He was an actor, comedian, singer and of course monologist, which is what we're going to hear today. He actually had a very fine voice, as was heard as late as his performance in the film My Fair Lady. And he began, indeed, singing in a group called the Corptimus and was hired basically as a singer. Fine baritone voice he had. But gradually, 
He developed these monologues and they tended to be about a couple of characters which he created. One was Albert who got et by a lion and apart from Albert Ramsbottom there was somebody else called Sam Small who had been involved in the Napoleonic Wars and met the Duke of Wellington. Albert Ransbottom was created for him by somebody called Marriott Edgar, and they became so well known that it sort of became part of, I don't know, the culture of England, you might say. And he was in high demand in variety, pantomime, and musical comedy. He did reviews, he did a lot, in fact. He was involved in all sorts of films, such as Passport to Pimlico, The Lavender Hill Mob, and The Titfield Thunderbolt. All in all, he was a bit of a legend. This is one of his less-known monologues. It involves Albert again, this time not being eaten by a lion, but going to the Tower of London and demanding to see a ghost. And this is a resulting monologue. He was actually born in London, but of course this monologue is done in northern dialect. Here he is then, Stanley Holloway, Albert and the Headsman, recorded on the 10th of February, 1937. On young Albert Ramsbottom's birthday, his parents asked what he'd like most. He said to seek Tower of London and gaze upon Anne Boleyn's ghost. They felt this request were unusual, and at first to refuse were inclined. Till Pa said a trip to McCollops might broaden the little lad's mind. They took Sherry Bank up to London and got there at quarter to power. Then, seeing as pubs wasn't open, they went straight away to the tower. They didn't think much to the building, which weren't what they'd been led to suppose, and the bad word tower didn't impress them. They said Blackpool had got one of those. At last, Albert found a beef eater and filled the old chap with alarm by asking for ghost of Ambolin has carried her head neath her arm. Said Beef Eater, you ought to come Fridays if it's ghost of Anne Bowling you seek. Her union now limits her output and she only gets one walk a week. But, he said, if it's ghost that you're after, there's Lady Jane Grey's to be seen. She runs around chased by the headsman at midnight on Pole Tower Green. They waited on Green till near midnight, then thinking they'd time for a sup, they took out what food they brought with them and waited for Ghost to turn up. On first stroke of twelve, up jumped Albert, his mouth full of cold dripping toast. With his stick with the horse's head handle, he pointed and said, Here's the ghost. They felt their skins going all goosey as Lady Jane's spectre drew near and Albert first swallowed his tonsil when the headsman and all did appear. The headsman chased Jane round the grass patch. They saw his axe flash in the moon and seeing his poor lass were headless, they wondered what next he would prune. He suddenly caught sight of Albert as midnight was on its last chime. As he lifted his axe, father murmured, we'll get the insurance this time. At that mother rose, taking umbrage, 
She said, put that cleaver away. You're not cutting our Albert's head off. Yon collar will clean on today. The brave little lad stood undaunted till the ghost were within half a pace. Then taking the toast he were eating, slapped it, dripping side down in ghost's face. Could a proper setback for the hedgeman. He let out one owl of despair. Then taking his lady friend with him, he disappeared, just like that there. When Pa saw the way as they vanished, he trembled with fear and looked blue, till Ma went and patted his shoulder and said, It's all right, lad, we saw it too. Some say to the dripping has done it. From a roast leg of mutton it came, and as Sedman had been a beef eater, they reckoned he vanished from shame. And around Tower Green from that moment, they've ne'er seen the sign of a ghost. But when beef eaters go on night duty, they take slices of cold, dripping toast. Well, I've given you a track of Caruso today, so it seems only right that I should give you a track of one of the other great tenors of the 20th century. People think of the three tenors now as being Pavarotti, Domingo, etc. But in fact, there are four great tenors of the 20th century. One only just because he's really 19th century tenor, Francesco Tamagno. And then after that came Caruso, Beniamino Gili, and somebody that I heard live, Yossi Bierling. This is going to be a track by Beniamino Gili. His years were 1890 to 1957. And this is a recording of him, I believe, in 1936, when he would have been just about at the peak of his fame and powers. And it's a recording of an aria I've given you before over the months, sung by people like Tagliavini, who himself was a bit of a Gili imitator. In this performance, you can hear both the beautiful mezza voce that Gili had, and then, surprisingly, the power of his top note at the end. He really was a great singer. Occasionally, a little over-emotional in his delivery, one could say, but wonderful. So this is Elastolita Storia from the opera L'Arlesiana by Chilea, and it's recorded, as I say, I believe, in 1936. Beniamino Gili. Oh, lovely, 
dormir così nel sonno alla mer This month has been a month when I've fought to get my voice back after a really nasty cold, phlegm sticking to my larynx. It's sort of gradually getting back, it's 90% better, but I'd be very pleased when the whole thing is back to normal. Which means that I shall be able to go into the recording studio again very soon. And since this is my track now, uh, that's what I'm thinking about. Actually, I've just been experiencing this special weekend, the coronation of Charles III. I still want to call him Prince Charles. I'll take a while before I can get used to calling him King Charles. There was a sort of massive pop concert, not just pop music, but other things too. And I was just thinking... Had they had this sort of thing for the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II in 1953, some of the talent available would have been Jussi Björling, the tenor that I mentioned before, Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Peggy Lee, Ella Fitzgerald, 
Mel Torme, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, the list goes on. I can't think of anybody that was in the show this last weekend that matches up with any of those. Oh, I didn't even mention Billy Holiday. So all of these people were around, or Nat King Cole as somebody else. The standards have not gone up, which is why I always ask you to share this podcast with as many people as you can. Put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter. As you know, it's free, and there's so much wonderful music in the grooves of 78. Well, without more ado, I'm going to give you a song which I love singing. It's I found it, I think, on a Frank Sinatra LP somewhere. But it's a beautiful song. It's called It Gets Lonely Early. I must check who wrote it. I don't know offhand. I'll put it on the list of songs when you have a look. You'll know who it is. In the meantime, this is my version of it. And it's called It Gets Lonely Early. And until next time, as always, au revoir. It's lonely early, doesn't it? Lonely early, doesn't it? Every single endless day. When your twilight nears And one face appears Turning winter days to May It gets lonely early Doesn't it? Lonely early, doesn't it? Still the old hearts, young enough to say It was really more than lovely, wasn't it? Truly lovely wasn't it? Every single